passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the Rewind Around with John Pollock and Waiting the A-Team. That makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewind Around for Monday night. Download a Tuesday morning from the Post Wrestling site. It's Rewind Around for Monday night on USA Now on the John and Wade Take the Mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Riot. It's John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. Wei, it is SummerSlam slash G1 Climax week. Are you ready? Are you ready for the start of a very intense next week? I'm ready. I am. That is, that is great to hear. How was your civic holiday on this Monday? It was quite nice. I went uh, to a pool. Not many pools open on a civic holiday here in Ontario, so... Uh, oh, that's surprising. Yeah, I found one. Uh, took my my nephew, who's in town from uh, Tokyo, and, um, and then spent the rest of the day playing some video games. So before Raw, at least. So it was a great day. Well, I did something uh, incredible. Uh, in the last two years, I have probably seen like less than five movies at the theater, and in the last. Four days, I saw two movies, Way, including today. Oh, what'd you see? This is a On Thursday I saw Hobbs and Shaw starring Roman Reigns. And then today I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. I highly recommend the latter. <laughs> oh, not Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs I mean Hobbs and Shaw, if you listen, I, I enjoy all the Fast and Furious movies. But this was one that my friends seemed to enjoy it a lot more than I did. I I found it. It's long. It's about two hours and 15 minutes, which is a little past my limit of Dwayne Johnson doing superhuman things. And, well, I, I won't go into the plot details, but I, I still had fun doing it. We got uh, we went to a movie theater and we got the the D box seats. Have you ever experienced these? I I. I don't know. There's so many different options at the theater the theater now. You can get like a 4D, you can get D-Box, you can get VIP. What is D-Box? So D-Box is, did you ever go to Canada's Wonderland and go on the Days of Thunder ride? No. Okay. Well, there are these seats that are essentially there to kind of uh, simulate the the motion that is happening on the screen. So if there's a punch, you're going to hear like... Uh, 
you, you can set like the the level of which your seat is going to get a jolt or something like that. And this all sounds kind of fun, but really I like five minutes into this, it's like I have paid an extra $10 for the feeling of what it's like for someone to be kicking my seat from behind me. That's what it feels like. <laughs> I had to turn this thing down. I was like, this isn't, it's not enjoyable. It's not adding to it. It's just annoying. It's like some kid is is kicking my seat, except they're not kicking it. I paid for the right to feel this. Uh, so I don't recommend the D-Box. It's, uh, it, it's just, it's like a rumble pack for your seat. And I don't think, uh, my movie going experience is just fine in a normal seat. So that, that's my recommendation. Uh, for uh, I'm the, the party pooper. But um, yeah, Roman Reigns is in this movie. He has a non-speaking role. Um, has a few spots, and he plays one of uh, one of Dwayne Johnson's uh, brothers. Where he has to go back to the Isle of Samoa and reconnect with his family that he left 25 years ago, because now he's got to have a big showdown uh, alongside Jason Statham, the man who killed Han and is now a, a babyface in the series. So yeah, that's essentially the premise. And was Roman good in a non-speaking role, at least? Uh, I I don't. If you went into this and didn't know who this guy was, you'd have no idea. Like I don't think he would leave any lasting impact on you watching this. I mean, it's a very minor role that you would have to know who this guy is to, I think, even remember him at the end of it. I mean, he does his one big uh, roar like he like he does before the spear. That's that's probably the high point, and then it's just him as one of many brothers just in the background during. This is the final. I'd say 20 minutes or so of the movie that he's involved. And can you tell me where you might rank it amongst the fast movies? Mm, middle, I would say. Okay. As a, this, is more, this is like a spinoff. This is Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Mm. And, I mean, it, it gets pretty out there. Of uh, Like, if, if you watch the very first Fast and Furious film from 2001 to what it is now, I mean, it is it's certainly gone off. But it's... It's such a successful franchise that you really cannot complain too much. People love going to watch these movies. And they love The Rock doing crazy shit. And they pay tons of They made $60 million this weekend. So it's a very, very successful franchise. And now they've got a spinoff. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I look forward to the spoiler review when I see you in person. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to ruin Hobbs and Shaw. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though. What an awesome movie this was. This is going to get tons of Oscar buzz attached to it. It's... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and this is Quentin Tarantino's uh, big film. Yeah, this was, thing was great. I was planning to watch that at some point, so you highly recommend that, but not Hobbs and Shaw. Got it. Yes, yes. So anyway, that is okay. that is that is all I have to say on the on the movie going front. But anyway, oh, you want to know something else? Of course. So on Saturday night, I'm watching Triple Mania, and. I go walk upstairs, and you know how my basement is way where I the the kitchen is right above my downstairs area. So I, as I'm walking up the steps, I'm eye level with the floor above, and a mouse crawls across Jeez. the floor. Oh my god! I was like, oh Christ! So I go. It runs under my dishwasher. And I'm going and I'm trying to like lure this thing out. I don't know what I'm going to do if this thing comes out. Like there's no way my reflexes, I'm going to catch this thing, but I'm going to try. Um, 
I, I don't have like a big fear of, of mice. I know it freaks out some people, but I I don't know. I'm I'm fine with mice. But it's just they're so fast. I don't even know how to catch this thing. It doesn't come out. So now we have bought mouse traps, and my wife is my wife is like just cannot even fathom the idea of dealing with a mouse. So if the this thing gets caught in the mouse trap, I am on mouse uh, discard duty. Best of luck with that. I mean, um, they can be a bit of a a tricky situation. Um, uh, let's hope it's have you, ever, it's. have you ever had a mouse to deal with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's hope, like in in your case, it's not just one because they can tend to. Um, well, that's the problem. It's family. the the concern of of yeah. If this uh this little mouse starts to breed, then it's going to be a a bigger problem. But then yeah. I was wondering, like with this mouse, is it, does the mouse go? Is it garbage? Is it Ugh. organics? Recycling? It's honestly, I don't know if if it's even a something I would want to venture a guess about because it's certainly not on a podcast because I'm sure you'll anger somebody. Um, I would call somebody, like somebody within the government, like an animal services or something, or or maybe just do your best with Google. Are, are most traps frowned upon by people? Is that kind of considered no, a... I mean, not for me. Well, like, like, to me, it's like... Anyway. Okay, well, if the most gets caught, I got to do something with it. Should I bury it? Should I give it a, a proper send-off? I, I don't understand what to do here. Yeah. I, I would say use your best judgment, John. All right. Well, let's get into our SummerSlam discussion uh, from, from Mouse Talk. Uh, wait, it's going to be a very busy week. I was uh, going through all of our shows this week. It's, uh, it's a packed one, but lots of stuff to look forward to this week. A lot of live shows in Toronto. By my count, there are 19 wrestling events happening in the city of Toronto over the next week. That's quite a quite a bit. Wow. This is not quite a WrestleMania weekend, but I would say pretty close to it. It's not WrestleMania, but for Toronto, uh, like I can remember a time when independent wrestling was pretty like they were few and far between in this area when we had uh, a lot less independent shows running. And now to see something like this, uh, it's pretty surreal. That you're going to have so much talent here. I don't know how all these shows are going to do. Yeah. We're probably going to see firsthand how uh, some of these shows draw. And really interesting to see the fact that, you know, TakeOver Raw and SmackDown are not sold out yet. What is the appetite uh, for non-WWE wrestling? Where I think that a lot of the people that are going to be going to these shows way, it is concentrated to those in and around Toronto. I, I don't know how many people are planning vacations from the U.S. to come here for SummerSlam weekend. I don't think SummerSlam has reached that that destination uh, travel excursion for a high volume of wrestling fans. That's the sense I'm kind of getting to, and I, I'm really curious to know how well some of these independent shows do um, and how much of it is kind of people banking on the fact that this is sort of the biggest event to happen in Toronto in a long, long time. It's a market that I think, you know, many, at least people living here, consider to be underserved. And is this a response, you know, to that uh, versus what the real demand might be for wrestling in the city, independent wrestling in the city? Yeah, you you can look at the at the fact too, like how much of a um, hindrance is it to be crossing a border, going to another country, and also if you're a wrestling fan that would be willing to travel here um, in such close proximity to All Out, um, you're probably choosing one or the other if it's three weeks apart and. Yeah, I, I think that, that that is the destination weekend for most wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. 
So looking at our schedule of shows, we'll be back on Tuesday night with Rewind to SmackDown. And then Wednesday, Way and I have a free show coming out with the, the review of Day 15 of the G1 Climax. So if you want to get all caught up to speed on all the standings, it's an A-block show coming up Wednesday, uh, setting you up for the final four G1s, which will... Uh, be following them. We've also got the British Wrestling Experience with Martin Bushby, Benno, and Jamesy. They're going to be chatting. Uh, there were some big, big news items over the past week. The announcement that Jim Smallman is leaving progress to solely focus on his duties with NXT UK. Defiant Wrestling shutting down. They're also going to be reviewing the latest OTT card, chatting about uh, Pete Dunne, and lots more. So always a fun time with the British crew. On Thursday... We have another G1 show. This will be for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. That'll be a B-Block show taking place. And then we have Up Next with Braden and Davey. And then the Cafe Hangout, a, a supersized edition of the Cafe, Cafe Hangout. We're going to have Mark Ramundi on from ESPN. He's going to be chatting about his live coverage of Triple Mania from this past weekend. Also, he has been following the G1 very closely. And then Way and I will do a whole preview of SummerSlam weekend coming up. Yes, yes, uh, packed, packed, uh, and if you don't watch that live, you will get that on Friday on the free feeds. And then we go into the weekend. We will have G1 shows coming out on Saturday and Sunday. Those are the first two nights of the Budokan Hall show, so if you're a cafe member, you'll be getting those shows. And then we have two editions of Cruel Summer. On Saturday, WH is joined by Davey Portman to review the final from 2011 with Tetsuya Naito versus Shinsuke Nakamura. And then Sunday, I don't know how you find the time, but Wei Ting is going to be on Cruel Summer chatting Kazuchiko Kata versus Carl Anderson from 2012. You are just uh, piling it on, Wei. You know, I, I try to um, clone myself uh, on, on days like Sunday. Uh, we're in the midst of a live show as well as uh, G1 review ourselves and also SummerSlam that day. I will also find time to be on Cruel Summer. You literally will be part of four shows on Sunday if we include the live show way, because Please. on top of that, uh, we've got our G1 show. Uh, Saturday night, Braden and Davey will have a takeover post show. Uh, they're going to be attending the show live at the Scotiabank Arena and then doing a show. And then Sunday night, Way and I are live with our SummerSlam post show. Uh, Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso patrons can tune in live and call in right after SummerSlam. Uh, we'll be on as soon as the main event concludes, and then that show will be free for everybody later that night. Yeah, the G1 post show, the B-Block final for Sunday, I think we're going to have up a little bit later after our SummerSlam show. There's just simply too much to fit into that particular day for us to watch the show and record it in the midst of it. So expect that one a little bit earlier, I would say Monday morning for most of you. But um, yeah, um, a lot of stuff to do. And then we'll be back the following Monday because the G1 finals are Monday of next week as well. So just so much stuff coming up over the next week. Postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can follow all of it. Uh, if you are unaware of our change in our Post Wrestling Prize Pack giveaway, we are now doing that on Tuesdays on Rewind to SmackDown. So tune in Tuesday night. If you're a cafe member, you're eligible each week to win that prize pack. And now we can head into the news. It's not too crazy of a, of a news uh, well, a day on. of news, before, before but I wanted that... to go back. Okay, go ahead. Before before that news, John, I wanted to announce the biggest news story of all, I would say, and that's the official sellout of the Post Wrestling Live in Toronto show. And uh, thank you, everybody who's purchased a ticket so far. Um, I look forward to seeing all of you there. Thank you for making this already a very big success for us. Uh, and to commemorate the occasion, I'd like to announce 
that we will be selling an exclusive t-shirt designed by Robert Pearson at the event. Only 30 of these will be printed. It's a beautiful Canadian exclusive post-wrestling design uh, on a navy blue shirt. Navy blue that, uh, you know, I think all Torontonians um, will, will look at very fondly for a variety of reasons. So we'll have 30 of these printed. Very limited in terms of a, a select number of sizes. So uh, do show up a bit early if you intend on getting one, and hopefully uh, we'll have enough for everybody there. Yes, uh, a big thank you to all of you that have uh, bought tickets. Uh, we had one ticket remaining to our live show on Sunday, and we sold it today. So thank you to everyone. We look forward to seeing all of you, um, whether it be at the Up Next Tailgate Party, which is Saturday at 1 at Wide Open. That's sold out. Sunday, live in Toronto. That's sold out. And then next Monday night, me and Way are going to be at O'Grady's Tap and Grill. It's going to be like it's a 2005 way. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a bit of trivia, and you'll accept it'll be three hours of Raw. That's somewhat new. Well, I think it's going to be fun to do it for one night and catch up with a lot of people we haven't seen in a while. But I think at the end of the night, we'll realize this is not something you could possibly do weekly now with a three-hour Raw. It's just too much. Perhaps. So that's next next Monday, uh, live screening of Raw. If you're in Toronto, not going to the show, O'Grady's Tap and Grill, 171 College at McCall. We will be there, as will member, many members of the post-wrestling family. So you can check all of that out. Uh, now, Way, you and I have actually not talked about this yet on a show. Uh, Friday's sellout of the Capital One Arena by AEW. Uh, the Bucks announced on Being the Elite that they had sold... Uh, 10,000 tickets, and they figure that once the production is all figured out, um, that they could be putting about 2,000 more seats on sale. And Nick and Matt had stated that they were estimating around five to 6,000 they thought they would sell. And to put this into comparison, when SmackDown 1000 took place last year, it was in the same arena, and they sold 13,000 tickets. So that's what they had it configured for. Um, this was just a... Uh, Another enormous success for AEW. I was not shocked by the sellout, but it really is impressive given the fact that this is not attached to a weekend. It's a Wednesday and selling that amount of tickets immediately again. Yeah, honestly, I think uh, I certainly had my doubts heading into it. And the fact that this story is one that we seem to have been hearing many times over and over with this particular crew, they keep exceeding expectations and, uh, you know, it's it, it maybe indicates perhaps uh, the great level of demand and interest there is for this show. I think estimates for, you know, the, the TV rating that's coming up, perhaps I feel like we will see a very similar story at the end of the day. Like, you know, at the, the next day, whenever those ratings come out, too, I think this crew continues to exceed expectations. And um, I I look forward to seeing whether or not the show could live up to those expectations. As they're booking like like they're following weeks television. Do you think they should just ride this this hot hand and continue booking arenas of this size or do you think it's going to be market specific and there's going to be some markets that they're just going to they're going to be going to 6 or 7,000 seat venues or do you feel like you should be going to the biggest arenas possible like major league level arenas because this demand is unbelievable. I'm sure it varies depending on the market, depending on the city. Um I feel like at some point this streak might have to end and uh you know is it is it worth basically you know going until it ends by itself or do you kind of carry on with like 
your max capacity uh, sellouts, uh, you know, whether it be 5,000 or 6,000 until that starts to, you know, I, I, I would kind of err more, more like on the cautious side, but then again, I probably wouldn't, you know, be in business because these people have certainly not erred more on the cautious side of things and they've been very successful. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the markets that they choose to go to. I mean, they have done extensive research with all the data that they have of where to go. And I think it's going to be interesting now how they roll out and make the, the next ones. Because it's almost like the on-sale date has become such a big event for them. Just tickets going on sale. Obviously, you're not going to be able to sell out every single show. But I think that uh, that should not be considered a failure either if they're only selling say six yeah. or 7,000 tickets. That's incredible for anyone to paint like inevitably when that happens, I think is really missing the point here um, of their ability to draw at in a live event capacity. And it seems like they will be revealing the next two locations tomorrow of their AEW and TNT shows. I'm going to predict they're going to go to um, Luxembourg no, I have no idea where they're going, but any guesses? Where do you think they go? I imagine they would, you know, pick somewhere within driving vicinity of, of uh, Washington, something that makes sense. Um, my guess is Chicago, maybe, Washington, maybe maybe somewhere in the New York area. I could see them. I, I see a West Coast, maybe like somewhere yeah. in California, somewhere near. You think near they them? would go all the way from Washington and drive the entire crew all the way to to California? Well, it's not like they're going to be keeping them there for a week after Washington. They got to go home, and that's just a flight to wherever they're going. But I mean, I mean, I mean, the, I, mean I mean the TV crew, you know, just the trucks and everything. Uh, they're not going to be going though from one Wednesday straight to the next city. I mean, it's like that's when you're touring nationally like that. I, th- I think you are going to see just popping all over the place. So yeah, I, I see that very possible. I think a California, maybe somewhere else, uh, a northeast spot they go. Um, yeah, so we will discuss that tomorrow. Mm. What else do we have here? Um, some news coming out today. This was from Mike Johnson at PW Insider reporting that the next WWE card in Saudi Arabia will take place in Riyadh on October the 31st, which is a Thursday on Halloween way with the name God. of Crown Jewel being retained. Halloween. Uh, yeah, get ready for the jokes. I mean, yes, uh, kind of does really open itself itself up for that. But what I'm curious, though, way is, does that mean that they're going to be doing this show and then flying that crew home, the SmackDown crew, to go do Fox the next night? I mean, that is going to be an, an exhausted crew. I mean, did they not do something similar for the, for the last set of uh, Saudi Arabia shows? I mean, you had th- those; those were Fridays. It wasn't like you had TV the next day. This is going to be the the very next day that you have to have, you have to do TV, right? So, uh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's just part of the gig, I guess. I would assume it's going to be a live SmackDown the, the next night. I don't see why not. What what I thought was going to happen was the Saudi Arabia show would end up on the Friday, and they would do something, whether it be with all the women on SmackDown, but uh, with with this Thursday, I guess it's technically possible you could just get the whole crew back in time for SmackDown, but you, you would think that that is kind of cutting it close to do a show on Thursday and then fly them all the way back. And it's pretty much right to doing TV. Like I, I, 
I imagine it's it's possible, but it seems like it's really cutting it close for TV day. We shall see. You know, I imagine you would probably rely a lot more on the women for that particular edition of SmackDown. Um, I really do like your your idea, what you suggested of, of making that the Evolution show, that particular edition of, of SmackDown. But um, we shall see. You know, as long as a few key talents, I think, make their way over from Saudi Arabia for that show, I think they will be okay. The WWE has updated their advertising and the kickoff show for SummerSlam is now back to 5 p.m. Eastern. So we're going to get our two-hour kickoff show. Oh, boy. Okay. Awesome. Great. Cool. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I'm especially, I think, concerned for this one just because I know, like, Sunday's going to be such a long day for us between the G1 and our live show, having to make it back for 5 o'clock in time for, for a seven-hour or six-hour show. And then doing our G1 review after that, it's, it's just not something I'm really looking forward to. But if you are if you loved kickoffs, congratulations. You get an extra hour. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, I knew it was too good to be true, this 6 p.m. kickoff show. They just couldn't help themselves. So another hour added to SummerSlam this weekend. Can't say I'm too stunned by that. Uh, the Super J Cup has added several more names. Uh, so, so far announced is Dragon Lee, TJP, Shotanaka, Taiji Ishimori, Ryusuke Taguchi, and Karistico. And then on Sunday night, they added Bushi, Yo, and the Amazing Red, which has been had been hinted at when the J-Cup was first announced. But this is the confirmation. And I think he's going to be one of the big stories of the Super J-Cup. This seems to really have generated a lot of interest seeing Amazing Red and this guy who... You know, many of these guys, I mean, Amazing Red is someone they hold in, in very, very high esteem. And obviously, Amazing Red and Will Ospreay, they've kind of teased something that you would you would imagine that would be a matchup in the Super Jacob, even though Ospreay hasn't officially been announced yet. I think it's so wonderful that he gets, you know, this type of stage for as a final send off. Um, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, and I think, you know, people will be looking at, uh, at at his performances with a lot more interest and I think a lot more sentimentality knowing that it, it'll be kind of his last set, set of shows um you know i think the type of sentimentality you'll also see in liger's performances because um this you know could very well be his last tour of the u.s as well so i i think this the super jacob is is going to have a lot of interest from two uh i i would say um near retirement performers it should be a great tournament. It's going to be spread over three days uh, later this month, starting on Thursday, the 22nd, and then wraps up the 24th and 25th that weekend on the Saturday and Sunday. And the final thing, uh, Way, I know you didn't get to see all of Triple Mania, but did you see any highlights of the world's newest luchador, Hurricane Rana Velasquez? Beautiful. Uh, I certainly did. Yeah. Uh, those gifs were really popping up. Um, and, uh, I think like everybody, you know, you can't look at that as anything but really shocking. You know, I think he, most people would have expected him to have a very much a uh, like an MMA fighter style, you know, submissions, some striking, um, maybe wearing, you know, MMA gear, much like the, we've seen with, with Brock Lesnar and whatnot. But instead, he was in a lucha mask doing lucha spots and I think looking pretty damn good. So um, I'm really interested to see like what what his approach was. And clearly it was more about doing traditional lucha rather than, you know, trying to play MMA fighter within a wrestling ring. Uh, and I, I'm way more excited about this type of uh, MMA conversion to pro wrestling, especially for somebody as big as Cain Velasquez. Uh, 
I really look forward to seeing in a year's time, if he continues his training, what he's going to look like. Yeah, I, I thought that he was felt like the biggest star on the show, that that was you know, the main event to many people with, with the exception of, of the mask versus hair match that the audience was really amped up for, uh, with blue demon jr. Defeating, uh, Dr. Wagner jr. Who had his, uh, his minimal hair shaved off and then announcing the next day that when he said he was going to retire, he meant, uh, over the course of the next year, he'll be retiring. So don't, don't he'll get to retire uh, his hair first. And then the rest of the body will follow. Exactly, exactly. But I've got to say, I watched it live on Saturday. I really enjoyed that show. It it moved very quickly. There was so many different elements to the show. Some good, some bad, but there was uh there was enough good on that show that I I, I really enjoyed. The five hours to me did not drag at all. Um, the main event was just a total bloodbath spectacle. I mean, this was as bloody a match as you were going to see, especially in 2019 ending way with a, a rock being broken over Dr. Wagner jr's head and shattering. Hate it when that happens. Yes. Um, and then you had, uh, Kenny Omega and the young bucks losing to Laredo kid, Pentagon jr. And Ray Phoenix and the English commentary as well. It was Vampiro was not, on the commentary, as uh, as Rob Bihari uh, informed us last week, it was uh, Joe Dombrowski who has done uh, stuff for Ring of Honor and for High Spots. I thought he was very good on this broadcast. He was up to speed on the storylines, the characters, did a very professional job. I, I thought Joe Dombrowski uh, added a lot, and he was doing the commentary with Matt Stryker. Who was who was fine most of the way. By the end of the night, it was starting like Matt Stryker just started to go off on these tangents and started to just uh, be Matt Stryker at times. But it, it was nothing that completely turned me off of the commentary. So I thought overall the English commentary was uh, actually a positive on this show when uh, in prior years it had been, uh, I think, a detriment. To, to the show. But if you happen to go back and watch it, I thought, I thought Triple Mania was a pretty fun show as well. And also, I was just looking at some of our own website numbers from this weekend, and there was a lot of interest in Triple Mania, way beyond what, what I thought. I mean, just, just looking at the amount of circulation my report got and the number of people that came to our site to read it, it was very interesting to see what a major Lucha show generated in terms of, uh, audience engagement because this was kind of a test on my part just to see what would be this would be the show that i think casuals would be tuning in to see and it seemed like they did in quite a high number what would you say it was on par with uh, as far as like other coverage on the site goes um you know it was, it was way more than like ufc on the weekend I, I would say like this was on par with you know below a big wwe show but maybe like a takeover or so like it seemed like wow. it was uh maybe not quite takeover i'd have to go and like con contrast numbers but it was like pretty impressive like when i when i looked at like how many people were checking this out and just seeing the next day as well of the amount of people that were just um circulating my report and stuff when i put it out there so that, that was interesting and i don't know if that was necessarily kane velasquez if it was just it's triple a's big show of the year if you felt like Omega, the Bucks, and Cody had a part in all of that, or if it was just the whole mix uh, in terms of it being a, a big, big show that people were checking out, and on a night when there wasn't a whole lot of other wrestling going on as well. So I think that helped them too. Very cool. 
All right, so you can go over to postwrestling.com, check out all of the latest news, and follow along throughout this week uh, leading into a very, very busy weekend. So let us go into Raw now, the go-home show for SummerSlam, taking place from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at the PPG Paints Arena. And the show started off with everyone on stage uh, for a 10-bell salute for the victims of the mass shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, over the weekend. Uh, Horrific, horrific tragedies. I mean, this was just so depressing uh, this weekend. I mean, just the latest mass shootings. And it was a nice gesture here to acknowledge this off the top. And then they just did a fade to black and then into the show proper. Yeah, I, th- I think they treat these very classy as they, all- as they always tend to. Uh, the opening theme music got interrupted by Samoa Joe, who all of a sudden is standing on the announcer's desk and he's yelling at Cole, Graves, and Renee for the false accusations that have been levied his way over the attack on Roman Reigns because he was never seen uh, at the scene last last week on SmackDown, and yet he's being wrongly accused. So Michael Cole, in the middle of this heated argument, brings up a poll where 80% of the WWE Universe didn't think it was an accident. And Joe says 80% of the WWE universe are idiots as they replay the angle. Could you imagine, Way, in a, in a shouting match with somebody and you cite poll results? Or in the court of law? Bringing up a WWE.com poll. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah they love in, their engagement. Yes. So <laughs> Joe brought up that backstage at SmackDown, there were more cameras than a dystopian state. And yet no sign of Samoa Joe on all of those camera angles. So based on just deduction here, I mean, this really points the finger at Bruce Pritchard, doesn't it? Or Kevin Dunn. Uh, well, we, we physically saw Bruce Pritchard here. Oh, Did okay. we see? I don't think we saw Kevin oh, Dunn. I thought you were referring to the people who put the cameras there. Oh, you're right. Well, maybe it was an inside job. It could have been. Uh, WWE.com made Joe a suspect, and he is going to wait until Roman Reigns arrives, and then once he arrives, he will shut down the show until he receives an apology from Roman Reigns, who, I guess Roman Reigns was just living up his uh, $60 million box office weekend because he didn't feel the need to show up on Raw until the final hour. Convenient, I guess. He's a big star now. Because he doesn't need call times. Becky Lynch then comes out and... They make mention uh, that the match with Natalia is now a submission match, but they never address Natalia's promo last week where she was withdrawing the challenge and it was just decided, well, it's a submission match now. Yeah, I have no idea what the point of uh, the last week's segment was. I don't know if there was supposed to be a follow up where Becky was supposed to answer the challenge. Um, Maybe it was scrapped. I don't know, but it seemed rather inconsistent. It's like we skipped a step. Should have just laid out the challenge. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so it's a sub- submission match, as probably everyone assumed when they brought it up last week. So our opening tag is Becky Lynch teaming with Charlotte Flair against Natalia and Trish Stratus in Trish's first match since uh, last October when she was on Evolution and Raw the next night. So uh, first of all, what did you think of the makeup of this match and doing this on the Raw leading into SummerSlam? I mean, upon initial reaction, I I certainly was not a fan of, first of all, having Becky and Charlotte be paired here. I think at this point they should be lifelong rivals that 
probably shouldn't be put into a situation like this that carelessly. If they do it, at least give us some backstage segment to see them explain it, um, rather than just putting them out here cold. Uh, I also feel like Trish is somebody that maybe should be kept somewhat special. Um, but I think seeing the way it played out, you can understand their thinking. I don't know if if it necessarily came out better than I expected, though. Charlotte tagged in early and dropped Natalia with a big boot, and she's making gestures to Trish on the apron, who's reaching for the tag as Charlotte restricts Natalia from the corner. And then she reaches out to tag her partner, Becky, but then just pulls away her hand. The crowd is chanting for Becky, and then there's this uh, exaggerated reaction as Charlotte is kicked into the turnbuckle. And then Natalia's sharpshooter gets stopped, hits a discus lariat, but the tag gets cut off. Trish then jumps to the floor, avoiding a strike from Charlotte. Becky tags herself in, and then Charlotte nails her partner from behind and walks out on Becky. Uh, and this did get some heat, leaving Becky on her own. And Becky turns around with Charlotte leaving and gets hit with the sharpshooter, uh, but gets a rope break, and she's screaming in pain. Natalia will not release the sharpshooter, and they call for the disqualification in seven minutes, eight seconds, and Trish has to come in and pull Natalia off, and Natalia shoves down Trish, and Becky is left holding her left knee and really selling the sharpshooter. So, like you, Way, I didn't really like this setup on the go-home show, but you had you continued the the lasting issues between Becky and Charlotte. Trish never got in there. She didn't even touch Charlotte. And at the end of it, you kind of got the sharpshooter over uh, with Becky now going in wounded from the sharpshooter. So I thought you did a pretty good job of accomplishing everything they set out to do. And there were quite a number of them. So I didn't have much issue with this. I personally felt it was even worse to tease Trish and then not deliver to a live audience. I think it only makes it worse. You know, I'm okay with that. You're getting that on Sunday. Yeah, but like, why announce it to your whole audience beforehand, only to have them expect it and then take it away? To me, that's not good promotion. It doesn't make me want to see Trish Stratus more. It only leaves me feeling like I've been ripped off for spending my time on this. I think you could have at least, if you're going to announce it anyway, I wouldn't have had Trish be announced for this match, period. But if you're going to do it, I would have at least had her like do something. Get in for a hot take that gets cut off early, okay? But whatever. Like the the end of this was just Trish Stratus not doing a thing, and that's kind of what you're left with. Beyond that, the reaction for her was really not that hot for from this audience. In Toronto, obviously it'll be a very different story, but I don't think she left a great impression because of the booking, not because of her, but because of the of the, of the whole situation. I mean, that's it. I, I felt like I like Natty's more sub- submission-based grappling style. We only saw a little bit of it here, but this is a style I-, I wish that she would wrestle like permanently to give her some dis- distinction, like make her the Zack Sabre of this division if she can pull it off. I have less confidence in Becky Lynch, though. Um, I think the match that they will lay out will probably be quite good, but man, I was not a fan of her selling at the end here of that sharpshooter. To me, it was a, a bit too much. Ah! Ah, ah, ah. Um, I didn't really buy it. But um, again, in Toronto, I think in front of a really hot crowd who should react well for both women, it, it could be very different. And what kind of reaction Becky gets on on Sunday as well? Like they kind of position Natalia here as the heel. That's 100% not going to be the case on Sunday. Um, yeah, so it'll be 
interesting to see which way the audience goes on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think the way they've been promoting it has been really interesting, too. They've been having Becky trying to claim that she will be the new face of Canada. Meanwhile, you have Natalia, uh, you know, obviously uh, talking about the sharpshooter and wanting to represent Canada herself. So what is the intent? Are they hoping that the audience turns on Natalia? Or are they trying to heal Becky in front of a Canadian audience? If that's the case, they they will find themselves quite uh, unsuccessful, I think. I think their best case scenario is it's it's a split crowd and it's just really heated. And there's people for Becky. There's people for Natalia that hopefully elevates the match. But we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I really didn't mind the non-use of, of Trish in this. I think for free television, I really have no issue with that and making people... Yeah. I like the fact I, they kept Trish and Charlotte apart. I didn't need to see them interact. But you're only that. saying that because they teased it and then they didn't do it. But my my argument is that they shouldn't have teased it at all because you gave this crowd expectations and then you basically gave them blue balls. Well, that's the, that's the point of building something up is making people want something and you've got to pay to see it. I mean, then you can put, you know, The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. Announce The Rock versus Hulk Hogan and take that away. All right. Well, you you had three hours to anticipate this. That's still so, anticipation. Okay. Well, you, you, t- you, I just, I look at television as uh, very different than if this was on pay per view and they didn't deliver the match for you. Um, so I just think it's cheap. They recapped Andrade tearing off Rey Mysterio's mask from last week. And then we go into Rey Mysterio and Andrade. And Cole references that Andrade was a masked wrestler. In his earlier days in Mexico, which is the closest we'll ever get to Michael Cole saying La Sombra. Mm-hmm. Andrade runs into a drop toehold and then hits a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. He gets set up for the 619, but stops it with a shoulder tackle. And then Ray comes back with this counter into an arm drag that sends Andrade to the floor. And then Ray goes for his slide across the apron. But instead of a splash, he goes over the back of Andrade into a sunset flip driving Andrade into the barricade, which looked super cool to set up the commercial. Yeah, very cool. Then we saw a twisting run off the top by Ray. Uh, Tilt-a-whirl head scissors. He hits a code red. Uh, These two were just really gelling well. Crowds chanting 619. And then Ray does this springboard moonsault. Land off the ropes onto the shoulders of Andrade and then turns that into a crucifix bomb for a two count. Ray gets caught, hit with a power bomb, the running knees, and kicks out at two. Eventually, Ray hits the 619, but as he goes for the top rope splash, lands on the knees. Hammerlock DDT gets countered with a small package, and then Andrade hits another power bomb and he goes for the mask. And as Ray is draped on the rope, the referee is dealing with Andrade as Zelina Vega snaps his neck on the rope, and then Andrade hits the hammerlock DDT, pinning Rey Mysterio and kind of leaving it loose and uh, like open ended. If they may add this to the SummerSlam card, but there was no announcement of this. But I thought a really good match between these two. Really good TV match. It had length. It had great action. Great near falls. Really good finish. Like if every Raw had, you know two or three matches like this, I'd be very happy. Um, these two kind of always seem to be destined to like have matches on anywhere but pay-per-view. You might get them on a kickoff, you might get them on TV, and they'll kill it every single time, but seems like they're they're just unwilling to really commit to a, a real substantial pay-per-view program with these two. And, you know, it's 
at this point it's whatever like if i get them on tv i get them on tv i don't think it's hot enough for a match at SummerSlam on an already very crowded card um there's you know they've had some like you know great tv matches at this point maybe save it for the next pay-per-view i'd be fine with that i would to to throw this on where i feel it would could you imagine adding like a mask match on five days notice yeah. For SummerSlam, I just don't like that because that should be a much bigger deal, and it feels weird to do another singles match without something involved after you've teased the mask here. So, and what would uh, I almost hope this Andrade isn't just put up his hair? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I think his hair looks so cool though. Maybe Ray can vow to retire and then announce that uh, he's going to retire over the next year or two. Maybe it's like Andrade's hair versus Ray's mohawk that's attached to his mask. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about, what about you, you go deep? It's Ray's mask versus Zelina's hair. Damn. Wow. Yeah. I would watch that. Absolutely. Like a Memphis angle where the woman gets her head shaved. Wow. Um, anyway, this was a great match. I think this was the best match on the show. So if you missed this, this was some great stuff between these two. Mike and Maria are in the waiting area for Maria's OBGYN appointment. Yeah. Um, didn't didn't she say last week her OBGYN appointment was going to be on Thursday? I thought so, too. I really <laughs> thought so, too. That was my first thought here, because they replayed this right before, and I'm pretty sure they replayed her saying it was going to be on Thursday, but now this was earlier in the day on Monday. Well, Maybe her appointment got canceled. Maybe she had to reschedule. That must be it, yeah. But wouldn't you, if, she, if it got rescheduled, wouldn't she say, hey, I'm a professional wrestler. I have to be at Raw in Pittsburgh. They were like, "Oh, we can do your appointment backstage. We've got a we've got a backdrop. We can they, do it there." They just so happen to have an an OBGYN with uh, purple curtains for walls. And yeah, in case you you weren't aware, where exactly where it, in big capital letters it spells out OBGYN. Is yes. that is that the ter- like John? You would know better than me. But like when you go to the OBGYN, do people even say that? Hey, I'm going to the OBGYN, or is there like? Or do you just say, I'm going to the doctor? Um, well, when we went, um, there was actually, uh, we'd go at night and there would be fireworks outside that would spell out OBGYN. I outside. see. Yeah. Cool. Just so you'd know. Like a, hmm. like a celebratory environment. Uh, so they're seated. They're seated here. And Maria's holding the 24-7 title. And she tells Mike his one job is to pre- protect her and their unborn child with the championship. And we come back after a break. They're still in the room. Maria is now in her gown, holding the title in the room. And Mike goes and hugs Maria. And the doctor who is in the in the room with them counts on Mike's back like she's patting his back, reveals a referee shirt underneath. And in Mike hugging Maria, pinned his wife to win the title. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, I think for for as much as they really built it up last week, I was expecting something maybe a bit more un, un, unexpected, maybe a, a, a little bit more um, clever. This was okay. It was mm. it was a way to get the belt off of uh, Maria Canellis, but I I was expecting her to hold it a little bit longer and for there to be a few more attempts, and I think for the ultimate finish to be a little bit more clever than what we saw. I would say so. I mean, I thought they were doing a big thing here with Maria and. This ended after a week. I mean, not to say that the the show collapses with this, but yeah, I was like, this is it. This is what we we spent a week on just to a hug. Okay, whatever. 
Mike goes back to the waiting area, and R-Truth is dressed up as a woman, and he's asked, why are you at the OBGYN? And he says, OBG, why not? And Carmela is there as well for whatever reason. R-Truth says his water broke and throws a baby doll at him, rolls up Mike, and wins the title uh, with the female referee counting. And R-Truth is now an 11-time 24-7 champion. Yeah, so back to the status quo, R-Truth. Um, wild and ridiculous and completely unpredictable television. What are they going to do at SummerSlam? Maybe they'll go all around the city. Um, yeah, where would you... <laughs> where where could you see them ending up? Um, maybe I they think, could go uh, down the street and go into the Sky Dome. Okay, yeah. I would love love to see them at um, maybe at like uh, Lee's Palace. Okay. Maybe maybe in the dance cave, on the stage. That'd maybe cool. they can go back to the the Don River where uh, Austin and Kurt Angle had that that big brawl once yep. upon a time. On the DVP, there. how about that? Oh, okay. Maybe the yeah. DVP with DDP. Or maybe the maybe the D DVP could end up being twenty four seven champion somehow. Okay. Would there be anything? cooler for you and I than if they did a title change out of Tim Hortons. Fuck. That would be the dream. With some some coffee involved. Maybe the Mike Canellis can be buying a brand new blueberry donut. Where's the closest Tim Hortons? It must be in Union Station. There's a Starbucks attached to the Union Station where that's the closest coffee place right next to where the entrance is for Scotiabank yeah. Arena. Book it. Starbucks is less uh, Canadian, though. No. It's not Canadian at all, really. So you, you got to do... It's Tim Hortons. or just... You're not even trying. So um, Charlie congratulated R-Truth and then welcomed in Becky Lynch. She limps in, saying that Natalia can bring all 9,000 members of the Hart family, but she's already let down Canada. And she... Unlike Natalia, she gave the WWE no choice but to get behind her and... She's not walking around playing nice like Natalia does, so she won't get fired. She was out changing the business while Natalia was on a reality show changing her bikini. And Becky is the thing that Natalia's career needed. And this Sunday, Becky is going to give Canada what they need in a hero. I really like the promo from Becky. This is the type of fire I want, you know. Um, I wish I, we, we had more of this type of Becky Lynch over the past se several months since Mania. Kind of tough when the opposition was someone from 1943. Yeah, yeah. Who is now the uh, the Invisible Woman. Maybe she went back to the 40s. Perhaps. Uh, Sarah Shriver then gets Natalia's reaction. She's going to tap out Becky. And even if Natalia's arm is broken, she will not tap. She's going to be Henzo Gracie. Um, To Becky Sakuraba. Wow. Yeah. And she's going to end Becky's career with the sharpshooter. You shall see. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman come out. And Heyman asks if Rollins, wasn't this guy supposed to be the beast slayer and the conqueror of the conqueror and the one to burn down Suplex City? And they aired a whole package recapping Brock's uh, massacre on Seth last week. Heyman said he begged for Lesnar to show any semblance of mercy. It was borderline criminal last week. But he has just learned that Seth Rollins is here tonight, and it proves he has more balls than he does brains. 
So Rollins comes out hobbling with a chair. And he stumbles down the ramp. I mean, he just looked so, um, I don't know. I don't know what the the term would be. Yeah, what's the word? Ridiculous. Um, I thought you were going to say, like, emo or something. But um, Oh, yeah, dude, the skinny jeans look was a little... Like, he... When he first came from the back, like this guy did not look like your your top baby face. Uh yeah, I mean certainly by the end of this segment, I I would uh say that it you know his his kind of um appearance uh, as top baby face was even more hurt. Um I I think it's certainly, you know, debatable whether or not he should have been on this show in the first place. I didn't necessarily hate that he had came out in street clothes. Um I to me I did like the detail that he was wearing bandages bandages underneath the t-shirt yes. and that it had to have, yeah so, i i don't want to get into p like the the, the look really it, it, i didn't even really care about the the look there was much more to discuss in this segment than uh his skinny jeans but you've got skinny jeans don't you john um i i do have a pair yes i do <laughs> there you go so there you go if uh well bandages underneath the t-shirt always always you never know um so he comes down and he gets into the ring and he immediately gets kicked in the ribs. And there you can see they're all taped. Lesnar beats the hell out of him with the chair, drives him into the corner repeatedly. Rollins tries to shoot in and gets kneed right in the ribs. He gets hit with an F5. He gets hit with another F5. Lesnar's hoisting up the title. The segment ends. They come back and Rollins is just dead in this ring. And he gets on the microphone, he asks, is it worth it? Is it worth it when you love something so much, you do anything to protect it, even if it keeps getting, you keep getting beaten down to a pulp? Well, for me, the answer is yes. This is all he is. It's all he's ever wanted, and it's all I've got. They should have cut the Becky in the back. And he vows to beat Brock Lesnar. I guarantee it. And he refuses to get on the stretcher, walks out on his own, and way I, I will let you have the floor. But I will say, number one, this did not uh this did not top last week's beatdown. So to me, it diminished last week's beatdown. Mm. It to me was just too much at this point where everything you accomplished last week, you could not go any higher than that. So this to me was only lessening the impact of last week. I was fine with Rollins doing a promo. It should have been by satellite somewhere. It should have been even if they had to give this guy the he showed up or something. But to get beaten down again, I just felt like this was just too much. And I don't know. It, it, it to me did not work as a show clo- or a go home angle that last week you did all that stuff. Well, first, John, let me commend you on, on your excellent recap, as always. Um, but I, I'm sure due to perhaps, um, certain limitations, all the what chance that filled this yes random soliloquy from Seth Rollins. And let's talk about how weird that is. You get the shit beaten out of you. How awkward is it to like ask for the microphone at that point so that you can reveal your innermost, deepest, darkest, personal, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, self, uh, confidence issues out for the entire public. That was really strange. I think a promo like this should have taken place in the back 
as Charlie is tending to Seth or like going to to talk to Seth for to try to reach him for a comment, he should not be volunteering to grab a microphone as he's like gotten the shit beat out of him to to talk about this. And of course, this crowd what what did this entire super serious thing from Seth? Uh, first off, like it's an indicator, I think, of how poorly he's been booked over the past several months. Um, how badly he's come across in a lot of those backstage promos and skits where he's just super corny, just not cool anymore. And certainly getting beaten up two weeks in a row in this type of fashion doesn't really help either. When he came out here, I thought this was, okay, he's coming back to get revenge so that we're hot going into the match. Instead, it was just like Seth getting beaten up again. Like you said, John, did not really add to the heat. It only... I think it, it made the crowd feel like the, it, they didn't have sympathy for this guy. Like he no. was this valiant underdog. It's like, dude, you're all beaten to shit and you come out like you look like an idiot. Like we're not going to back this guy who's a loser. Like that's how he was presented here. It's like, I'm not going to have faith in someone that's just walking into their own beating. And that's what this was. Like there was no, and not only gotten get beaten up, but like then grabs the microphone afterwards and like talks about maybe I should quit. Um, I just, I don't really know what the thinking was. Certainly not for, like, a, a, a top-level babyface. I mean, is Seth Rollins even this type of character? I, I just personally don't see it. So, I thought this segment was a failure. Yeah, I, I think, and I think it diminished last week's attack. Like, he was, he had taped ribs after all that last week. You know what I mean? Yeah, the guy was yeah, bleeding no, 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 no. from the mouth. He took multiple F fives onto stretchers. It was like he was nearly killed, and not a mark on him. It was just—I mean, he was selling, obviously, but it just to me, it kind of made you forget last week's beatdown. And I thought this was just kind of sad. I, I for, for the main event, I think that, that this was a real swing and a miss. I thought so too. Backstage, Charlie is with Kurt Angle, and he says it feels great to be in my hometown. And then we hear a chant of USA as the Street Profits walk in. And, man, the new, the new assignment of death is being the guy that's got to stand there next to the Street Profits. Because you can't help but look like a geek. And that was Kurt Angle's role here, to just stare at these guys as they did their whole shtick. They promoted their tag title defense at TakeOver. Never mentioned who they're facing. Said they're crossing their T's and dotting their three I's. And then they pull out a cooler and said that they want to have a celebration here with Kurt. And I'm like, are you really going to make drinking jokes with Kurt Angle? But they revealed it was milk that he was going to have. Kurt's just looking so goddamn awkward here. He Then Kurt, even though he can clearly see the milk, says that he promised his wife he wouldn't do anything crazy tonight. It's like we're all staring at a carton of fucking milk. Montez Ford calls him... Mike Canellis for being, uh, I guess, bossed around by his wife. They say, Kurt, you've been our hero since you won the gold medal. Do you want to guess how old Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins were on that day that Kurt Angle won the Olympic gold medal way in 1996? Man, I'm scared to make that guess. Um, four? They were six. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you remember one thing from when you were six? Um, let me think about this. Um, I was six. Who was your hero in 1990? Fuck. MC Hammer. Okay. 
<laughs> I would love to watch you doing a segment with MC Hammer as you offer him some milk. Yeah. So Kurt reluctantly agrees to have one drink of milk. And then Drew McIntyre walks in and said, I was genuinely worried my sides were going to split. And he tells Kurt to call their, his match with Cedric Alexander tonight right down the middle. And reminds Kurt he humiliated him when he tapped Kurt out with his own ankle lock. And that if Kurt steps out of line tonight, he's going to crack his skull open. Yeah. 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 Um, so, a lot of death being threatened and implied here on this show. Well, that's wrestling, isn't it? I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, the, whatever. The, Cute. The Viking Raiders took on Jay Alexander and... Eric Abraham, who uh, local fans would know better as a uh, as Idris Abraham of Halal Beefcake, who's going to be on the uh, Smash Wrestling shows this week, or as Graves called him, the guy from Coheed and Cambria. I thought he looked familiar. Sure, yes. Um, Ad- Abraham got hit with a suplex and a rolling elbow. Ivar hit a splash. Viking experience. They pinned Alexander in a minute twenty. Yeah, still continuing to. You know, put these guys basically. To me, this just feels like they're they're warming up in the bullpen. I would assume after SummerSlam is when they hopefully get their first program. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's time for them to move to the next level after SummerSlam. But it's like at least they're on TV each week. It's like it could be worse. They could be AOP. So, are they still injured or something? No, they're they're there. Yeah, they're, they're there back, every week. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've been back since June. So. Um, they acknowledge, uh, the passing of Harley race here. They showed the the tweets and then they aired the video that they put up on, on the website over the weekend, focusing on his, his feud with flair coming to the WWF managing in WCW, the hall of fame. And then, uh, I thought the coolest part was the standing ovation that he got after and a big chant of Harley from the crowd in Pittsburgh. So, uh, it was nice that they did play the video for Harley on this show. Yeah, certainly really nice video. I thought, um, and really nice ovation ovation after. That was followed by Kurt Angle coming out, and he is the referee for the next match. And, you know, you talked about uh, Trish not getting an overwhelming reaction. I didn't think Kurt got much, much of one for Pittsburgh. Uh, you don't think so? Not even when he was in the back? I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't jump out at me. I wasn't. Uh, maybe I'm underestimating what I what happened. But he comes out, and then Cedric is making his entrance, and he gets jumped by Drew. He's beaten down on the floor, but he stops an inverted Alabama slam and kicks Drew into the post, and then a tornado DDT off the barricade when the lights flicker and go out, and you know exactly what's happening now. It's, um, and I quote, The Fiend! The Fiend! The Fiend! With the mandible claw applied to Kurt Angle, the lights go out, and Bray's maniacal laugh ends the segment. So... Welcome home, Kurt. Well, I mean, I, I, I think this I was, I was fine with this. Yeah, it was, it this is the totally role fine. of a retired yeah. legend. I think somebody there to put over the upcoming talent, uh, much like the Foley spot. I thought this was just as good. The mandible claw is a move that any legend can take. You're sticking your fingers down somebody's throat. I don't think you need to be necessarily uh, going through a bunch of medical testing just to do that. But it's devastating. I thought it was a nice surprise because I didn't expect it in the body of this match. So I thought this was well done. But does it mean that we're getting Cedric versus Drew again? Well, the thing of this show is that 
there are several matches they could add at SummerSlam that they've teased. Like they've teased Ray and Andrade. They've teased Cedric and Drew. They're teasing uh, both sets of tag champions. Um, like they they could really ramp up this uh, this SummerSlam card, but nothing has been added. So I guess it's a distinct possibility that Cedric and Drew gets added, but they did not officially announce it yet. Again, like for a few like do, this, do you want to see it on the top of that? SummerSlam? No, I I mean it's not for a title. I think on a show that's already as loaded as SummerSlam, it's not going to do well on that show. It's not going to leave an impression. So might be better to save this one for Raw the next week. Uh, yeah, like it feels. I'm just looking at the number of matches we have. We have nine matches, so there are going to be more. I think that we are going to get more matches added. So this could certainly be one of them. Uh. Then we continue on, and uh, Titus, uh, they mentioned doing this uh, this back-to-school bash with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and helping out children with school supplies. This sounds like just a really wonderful individual, Titus O'Neill. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, and I'm it, glad that they put a, put a spotlight on this stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. We're, we're not, I mean, I'm not personally the biggest fan of him as a pro wrestler, but I think as a human being, he is amazing. Yeah. One of the other things worth noting is the story that uh, Trevor Murdoch put out that Harley Race, they wanted to to transfer him back to St. Louis from Atlanta and his Medicaid wouldn't cover it. And I guess a call was made to WWE and it was instantly covered. And I thought that was like a really great gesture on their part to do that. So I think that's worth noting. Uh, Big E and Xavier Woods versus Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows was next. Uh, Gallows has now gone back to his face paint. Michael Cole explains it gives him an extra edge and attitude from his days in Japan. I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's something special. Um, you know, rather than I think just seeing two, like, bald men with goatees. Woods uh, clotheslined Anderson, and then AJ was in the corner of... Anderson and Gallows and immediately pulls down Big E and then attacks Woods and the DQ is called after 23 seconds. Uh, they explain that Kofi Kingston is not here tonight because he has uh, obligations elsewhere, which I don't know what those could be given all the house shows were canceled. So Ricochet comes out, drop kicks AJ to the floor, and that sets up our six man tag. And that takes off with Gallows coming in. He uh, drops Big E with a boot and they had the heat on Big E for a long time. Biggie eventually caught Styles with a belly-to-belly. Woods comes in, hits a Shining Wizard. Then Ricochet hits a springboard dropkick to Gallows. E then clotheslines Gallows to the floor, gets hit with the phenomenal forearm. And then Styles gets nailed to the floor by Ricochet with a dropkick. Anderson comes in, DDT to Woods. And then the Magic Killer is delivered to Woods after a shot from AJ from the floor. And Gallows pins Xavier Woods. Uh, The match goes six minutes. And it sort of implied the idea that we could see... Biggie and Xavier Woods take on Anderson and Gallows, but again, another match that was not announced for SummerSlam. Matisse. Yeah, I mean, but uh, again, another match that I don't think is hot enough to be on SummerSlam that might be better. Wait, served. it's the Raw Tag Champions versus <laughs> the SmackDown Tag Champions. It is the best of the best meeting to yeah. for tag team supremacy. You're right. Yeah, I didn't even think. Yes. I thought this was actually a pretty good match. You know, I actually think Gallows, his attempt to look meaner and more intimidating to me actually kind of worked. But there was an incredibly cold reaction to this match. And I'm not really quite sure what it was, but this crowd did not care for many things on this show. And this tag team match between the two champs was one of those. Six-man match, I suppose. 
Um, I don't, you know, they're really doing their best to push the club by giving them big wins. They gave them the titles, but for whatever reason, it just seems to not be enough, at least not with this crowd. Yeah, I think the the crowd wasn't all that hot for it. It was fine. It was mainly getting the heat on Big E and then kind of the 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 big finishing sequence at the end. It was all right. Um, then we had a PA backstage telling Samoa Joe that Roman Reigns is on his way. And Joe says Raw is shut down as he storms to the ring. They replayed the forklift attack again. Samoa Joe is in the ring and he said, I am not waiting any longer and wants an apology. So... By threatening that he would not wait any longer, he proceeded to grab a chair and wait longer. He then says, Roman, I'm giving you to the count of three. One, two, three. All right, I'm just going to stay here. You can only threaten someone with a count of something way if something happens when the count expires. Nothing happened here. He says that Roman Reigns is scared. So the fans started chanting CM Punk, and this got pretty loud at this point. Joe is then told by someone at the ring ringside area that Reigns is arriving. So Joe goes backstage after all of this, and you knew uh, trouble was coming. We got the overhead shot of Joe arriving in his car, uh, of Reigns arriving in his car. And uh, Reigns gets you, out. And you got you to gotta question Kevin Dunn. You're right. You're right. It's all these multi-camera setups that usually mean something terrible is about to happen. So Reigns gets out, and then I a drive-by occurs way. Not Reigns kind, the literal kind, because a car drives at Reigns. He dives into his car. The car gets hit, and then the car drives off. I believe it was Jason Statham, but uh, the <laughs> identity was not revealed. The person drives off. And then we have Joe, Samoa Joe, calling for a medic. Triple H shows up to check on him. And then, thankfully, we had the voice of reason, Michael Cole, assure us that WWE's digital and social media teams are going to have updates. And SummerSlam is free for all new subscribers. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a new poll, too. A hundred percent of fans are very confused by what is going on here. Um, I, I was waiting for Cole to say that um, the driver of the car is responsible for his own personal actions. Oh God, God! You could have made a lot of jokes on this show um, with regards to to a few people, but you know, um, I I, uh, I I I appreciate the fact that they didn't go too crazy with the camera angles. I mean, we only had two of them this time. Rather than uh, six um, to capture this very <laughs> spontaneous accident. Um, I love the fact that they had Samoa Joe actually stop to see if Reigns was okay. You know, we, it reveals that Joe is somebody who is a, a warrior who hates his enemy, but in the end, he's a decent human being who does not wish for even his enemies to be killed. Despite, you know, um, Joe's just home invasions. Ho- home invasions well, is where he draws the line. That's more of a scare tactic, I like to think. But um Okay. <laughs> he's got he's a deep human complex human being, I think. Uh, okay. this was a it was a cliffhanger to send you to SmackDown, and I think in that sense it was done well. I actually wonder how they might have protected Roman in this scenario. Like that's uh, I mean the the margin of error really like did not look to be that like um big or or, or is it small? I don't even I, I, I watched it like I'm not I'm not a stunt expert. But it looked what they did was that when the car was coming at Roman, 
it was going very slow for him to do his dive. And then you do the overhead shot, which is where you see the car smash right into it, which would have been the safe shot where the car's just driving into the empty car. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, <laughs> look at you, John. You are an expert, I would say. I- I'm still trying to figure out the uh, the Survivor Series 2000. Remember with the uh, uh, Hunter getting lifted up in the in the car 50 feet and then dropped? Yelling, holy shit! Well, you have multiple cameras for that, too, so I guess it, it, it you need these multi-cameras. Yeah. The best part of that Hunter stunt when he fell in the car and then came back three weeks later without a scratch was that the movie in theaters at the time was Unbreakable with Samuel L. Jackson, and I always thought that was hilarious. Why? Because that's the whole point of Unbreakable is that all this shit can happen and the guy's fine. He doesn't sell oh. anything. And Hunter comes back from this... uh near-death experience, and he's he didn't even have a scratch on him when he came back, like, three weeks later. Well, so these, these wrestlers are tough, or what I'm saying. Like, they yeah. can come back from just about anything. So uh, Reigns is all shook up. Um, do you feel uh, this will culminate in a match at SummerSlam? Or do you think that they'll hold off the match till afterwards, and maybe they do an angle at SummerSlam? Uh, I think I absolutely believe that they will do a match at SummerSlam. I feel... I mean, it feels so. I, I, I'm with you. I think they do the match, but it feels so rushed to Roman reveal this not, on Tuesday. Well, because Roman doesn't have a match at SummerSlam. I mean, do you need Roman Reigns to have a match on SummerSlam? No. I'm not sure, but I I feel like the uh, somebody who's on the video game cover, supposed to be one of, the, if not the biggest star of the company, will probably have a match at SummerSlam. If not, I would I would argue the reveal yeah. of the driver at SummerSlam would be more impactful than just doing the match on five days' notice. Okay, so would you do a segment? Would you... Um... I'd do something that culminates in the reveal, and something more clever than DDP taking the mask off and he's the stalker. Um, yeah, yeah, I just... L- listen, uh, you want to have Roman Reigns in a match on one of your big shows, but I don't know if I'm crazy about doing the reveal on SmackDown and the match five days later, which you know is going to be just match number one and probably have a disputed finish anyway. So... Do you really want to get off on that foot? I don't know. It's. I'm sure we'll be talking about the match being announced, but I, I I think people would be just as interested in seeing Roman on the show and get the answer to the cliffhanger, and that drives people, like as opposed to just doing this match that doesn't really have much hype after the reveal tomorrow. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Um, I wonder how many people already know. Probably most, but... For yeah, those and in that, that sense, would that be a letdown to only, you know, wait till SummerSlam to reveal it? You know, you know what's interesting is that if you are not someone that is following this stuff, like, super closely and would be aware that the program's designed for Daniel Bryan, they have left off some key people for SummerSlam that you could, in theory, uh, suppose that maybe it's Braun Strowman. Maybe it's Bobby Lashley. Like, maybe it's, you know, they've kind of eliminated Joe now from from the list. But there are some notable names that are not on the card Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's really hard to kind of play that whodunit, like, without, I think, um, more TV time. I mean, I'm thinking back back to, like, the Aleister Black angle and how, how, how really, like, successful they are with something like that. Yet with this, I just feel like the cat's already kind of out of the bag and there's really not, not that same level of suspense. What if it's Rikishi? Well, wouldn't that be a twist? Um, how would that work, seeing that they're both related? Well, we know this guy has a penchant for being a driver for hire. Um, yeah. And you know what? He's 
he was worried about. He did it for uh, The Rock, obviously. Cause... Exactly. He's worried about Roman getting on his, uh, showing him up in this movie. Yes. Okay. Done. And then Rikishi is uh, working for somebody else. That could be the reveal. <laughs> the Iconics versus the Kabuki Warriors versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose for the WWE Women's Tag Titles in a fatal four-way elimination match. That's like two lines of text here in front of me. <laughs> um, like by your estimation, like from what you could maybe presume, do you think this was supposed to be on the pay-per-view? Uh, I think it was certainly probably one of those matches that was on the bubble. And I think they realized that this wasn't going to fit on the pay-per-view. So they put it here. And to be honest, like given this elimination style, like there's no way they could have done this elimination match on Sunday. I think you would have had to condense it and it would have been six or seven minutes and would have been just a mess and probably just one fall. So, I mean, you can, you can choose like what, what was the better presentation? Yeah. I I think for the performers, I mean, obviously I think if you're a wrestler, you're going to be disappointed that you're not on SummerSlam uh, in front of that crowd. But I, I think as far as the quality of match goes, I, I would much prefer to have my match take place on Raw over the pa- course of several segments. Uh, they plugged straight up Steve Austin premiering on the USA Network next Monday following Raw, which is the perfect slot for Austin to have that series. And Renee brings up that this is the third time the Iconics have defended their titles. The third time since WrestleMania when they won. No them. way. It's got to be more than that. That's what she said. I, I feel like they defended it. Didn't they at least defend twice against Jobbers and then maybe once against the Kabuki Warriors with the countout? That's there three has, times, Sway. There has to be more than that, though. I don't think it is. I don't think they've defended them once on pay-per-view. You're right. The two Jobbers, and then they defended them like a month or so ago on TV, I remember. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. It could that's, very well be three times. That's crazy. So, anyway. Uh, the iconic start, and they're just double-teaming everybody. And doing all this tandem offense, driving Asuka into Billy Kay's knee. And then they do their pose, and Rose jumps them from behind and hits a discus forearm. Uh, Kay hits a discus forearm. Rose then comes back with a flying knee and pins Billy Kay in 2 minutes and 28 seconds. And this is such a staple of Paul Heyman booking where he would book these elimination matches and have the champion eliminated first because then you have the guarantee of a new champion. Uh, he's done this mm-hmm. many times in the past, and I would imagine that was like a Heyman uh, note for this match. That's what it seemed like. Yeah, perhaps. And certainly it works really well going into commercial break uh, because it guarantees a new champion as you return from commercial. So I thought used very effectively here. Uh, Oscar Sane then worked over DeVille. They're doing these double team kicks, sit out drop kick. Uh, this must have been very freeing for both women to just have any kind of television time and to do an actual match bliss and uh, Sane started doing her pirate salute and then bliss did it back to each other. And I just kept thinking of Yuji Nagata here. The crowd starts chanting for Oscar as Rose hit a flying knee. And then Mandy tries for her angels wings to Oscar. And it just seemed like they were just on a different page because Oscar gets put down, then lifted up and then blocked the hold and then put mm-hmm. the Oscar lock on and Rose tapped out. Just seemed like there was a miscommunication there. Mm-hmm. So we're down to Asuka and Sane against Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. We had more CM Punk chants here. I will say, like, this, in the middle, I, I thought that this did drag at times. Like, this was a 
this was a three-segment match, all told. Um, they had the advantage on Asuka in their corner. Asuka then hit a German suplex onto Cross. Tagged Sane. She got the hot tag, was in with Bliss. And Sane looked really good here. Um, Bliss gets nailed in the corner. Asuka comes out with a code breaker onto Cross. And then the Asuka lock gets applied to Bliss. But Bliss rolls over on top of her. gets a two-count. A boot drops Bliss, and then Sane is tagged, goes to the top for the insane elbow, but Cross shoves her off. They place her in between the ring skirt and the apron and beat her down, and then Sane turns around and gets nailed with a right forearm and hits Twisted Bliss, uh, and Kyrie Sane gets pinned by Alexa Bliss. So Bliss and Cross are your new champions. I thought that finish was awesome. You know, um, to me, I, I was fully expecting this to be a Kabuki Warriors win, but like they managed to kind of play with the back expectations really well. I loved like, you know, doing stuff like trapping Asuka inside the apron as, uh, you know, Alexa and, and, and Kyrie are, are going at it. I, I thought that was done really well. And I don't even really hate the decision because if it means that, um, it leads to a Kabuki Warriors chase, then I would prefer this. But obviously, that's a big if. But I, I think, judging by the way this match was laid out, it was clearly designed to make the Kabuki Warriors look like stars. I felt like they, they had the, the, the bulk of the airtime here. They were the only baby faces in this entire match. So I feel like... And it was the first time they've had like anything on yeah. TV. I think the success of these belts um, hinges on them being able to tell a bigger chase story with the Kabuki Warriors. So if they're going to delay that championship win, uh, ultimately against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, who are two you know characters, I would say, with, with more TV time in the division, I think it's a good decision to not give them the belts yet. Um, the crowd certainly did not react much to this match until the end, and I don't really fault the crowd, even though I thought... It was a long match. Well, I thought the match was actually great especially compared to like what we've seen with like the women's uh tag team division period as of late but i uh, i don't blame the crowd because it's you're, you're right it's a long match but it's also an indictment on how neglected this division and this belt has been nobody takes it seriously because it's only the women's tag team belts which have been meaningless since wrestlemania i hope this is a turnaround it it can't be lower. Like these titles have meant nothing since WrestleMania. So mm-hmm. at least this is something on, uh, and it's putting it on two pushed characters in Bliss and Cross. So I feel they're at least going to get television time and should be paired with the Kabuki Warriors. I think that that's a good chase for them as well. Um, yeah. I thought the match was fine, but I, I did feel like you were asking a lot of people going three segments here uh, with this match, but. The ending was good and executed well. Yeah, I think it remains to be seen, you know, what kind of, um, if if it is a Kabuki Warriors feud, because I can't necessarily see it being too many other teams. Um, like, what is that kind of chemistry like now, several months later, between Paige and the Kabuki Warriors? Because I think last I saw them, anything of them on web or, or, or TV, it was still, like, quite awkward. Um, have they improved on that? Have they kind of figured uh, maybe an act out together? I, if they get an actual program coming out of this, I... I'm curious to see how they do. I think the problem is, I, I think Paige is a very good talker. They just don't let her talk. She's just there. She does, you know, your WWE.com bits and she, she'll speak on their behalf, but it's very rare. Like these women are barely on TV and Paige is just sort of, I feel bad. I thought she was doing really well in the GM role and yeah. this move to a manager in theory, that's a, that's a high speaking role. And she's largely muted each week. She's just in the corner. Yeah. doesn't really serve a function. Well, let's hope that changes. 
they plugged the 2K20 video game and ran the trailer for this. Uh, did you uh, did you watch the trailer, Way? I, I saw the commercial, yeah. Here, yeah. Um, I, I feel like in, in years past, we've seen cooler like video uh, commercials uh, with bigger reveals, perhaps. Um, but um, this was, I mean, the reveal of Becky Lynch and Roman Reigns being on the cover. But this was very much a commercial centered around Becky Lynch. We got cameos from Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin. Uh, am I missing anybody? Um, oh, everyone was in this ad. It yeah. was uh, Braun was there. Um, oh, Velveteen Dream was featured. Velveteen Dream was in there as well in the cool. in the big commercial. I'll tell you this: there's one of the big selling features of this video game is doing like the women's revolution mode or whatever, and it's all built around uh, Charlotte, Bailey, Becky, and Sasha Banks. And I so find that really the, interesting. So you Sasha get, is like a big part of this, like the major like gameplay. So you play like I guess all the most important matches of the women's. Yeah. Revolution, right? Yeah, that's like the big story, including uh, NXT, through the history. Yes. Okay. Cool. That's what it sounds like. So, oh, you know, it's just interesting that like Sasha is obviously like a big part of this game, and she's nowhere to be found on television. Miz TV is our final segment of the night with Miz coming out and bringing Shawn Michaels out to make sure Dolph Ziggler signs the contract. Can you imagine? Miz calling up this guy in Florida, telling him to get to pack, come to the airport, get onto an airplane, go check into a hotel, get a rental, come down to the arena. Call time is all talent has to be here by two o'clock. And then I want you to be in the ring so that you can see this man sign his name. Just watch. Make sure he does it. Okay, Miz, I will do that. You imagine this as a real scenario way. Please don't ever ask me to do something like this. Translation, that was the best excuse they could have come up with. Miz and Michaels had a awkward hug in the ring together. These the, the best friends, Miz and Shawn Michaels. And then Ziggler is introduced by Miz as the pariah of WWE. He would rather be a pariah, he says, than ass kickers like Michaels and Miz. He's been stealing shows and carrying this company on his back for the last 10 years. And he is the best thing to happen since Shawn Michaels lost his smile and The Miz lost his balls. He is the only legend standing in this ring. And this Sunday, Ziggler will finally become a legend and earn the fans adulation by beating The Miz at SummerSlam. (laughs) The Miz way. He, he is on the doorstep of greatness, and the only gatekeeper uh, left is Mike Mazanin. I mean... I, I kind of like that I, his character is now, like, just... He's completely out of his mind. Like, he's delusional. That's the character. Oh, absolutely. I think the, the whole Dolph, like, persona has been, how big can I talk the stupidest, shittiest scenario that I've been put in? How big can I make myself sound despite me basically losing every single match of the past three, four years. Um, and I thought he was great at it. I thought he was excellent here. He's almost like he he's becoming a parody of himself where he, we used to cut the serious promos about this. But if you can take it as like, oh, this guy knows he's full of shit. I think there's a more redeeming quality to this guy. So Miz says that the reason Dolph doesn't get the adulation is not because of the fans. It's because of you. And Miz says, this is after Ziggler signs the contract. 
He says, Ziggler, I can't wait to get my hands on you next week on Raw. And tells Ziggler, you didn't read the fine print. I may have many future SummerSlam moments, but the guy you're facing may not have too many left. And immediately, I think Cody Rhodes got very excited. He was like, oh my god, what if I'm wrestling Goldberg at All Out? What? Didn't re- he didn't read the contract last week on Road 2. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> so he looks at Michaels, and they tease here. I, I actually didn't like this. The To their credit, the crowd did not buy it for a second. But teasing the idea that it's Shawn Michaels, like, what, what a... I would not have done that tease, because I feel people would rather see that than what they are getting. I always deliver what they want more than teasing something that's bigger. And I would say yeah. Michael's wrestling is bigger than what the reveal was. So I would have skipped that entirely. Well, I guess thank goodness for this uh, audience that obviously... No one popped. No well, one like had the, oh my God, it's Sean moment. Everybody, they knew it was not him. Everybody reads the internet. Everybody already... Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say everybody, but a good vocal majority of this crowd was already chanting Goldberg by this point. So they thankfully didn't buy into the, the Sean tease. Um, and I, I, I again, I, I, I feel like Sean's inclusion in this whole thing has been a little bit weird. Although I feel like they they used him effectively here, they kind of tied him in well with the with the oh you're not facing me you're gonna face maybe this guy, but then it turns <laughs> out to be the other guy. Michael says it's not me, and then Goldberg's music plays and Michael Cole yells, "You know this is the 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 trademark term to be calling Bill." He yells, "The indomitable Goldberg." Man. I just know I'm going to hear that like 50 times on Sunday. The indomitable Goldberg. <laughs> so Ziggler ho- hops out of the ring. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, is it? wouldn't you naturally say that the first time you saw somebody uh, by su- complete surprise? It's the indomitable ting. <laughs> Ziggler leaves the ring. Goldberg walks in. Everyone's chanting for him. Got a big reaction. Signs the contract and says, son, you're next. And that's our match. And Ziggler, he is just hightailing it up the ramp. He turns around, and out of nowhere, Michaels hits him with the sweet chin music. Ziggler plays the geek to perfection. Uh, but this was like, you you did not know where the hell Sean went, so it was a very unexpected sweet mm-hmm. chin music. He's going to get murdered on Sunday. That's the right finish. Yep. And it's just people want to see Goldberg kill a guy. Yeah. And Dolph Ziggler is the guy to kill. I don't. I don't mind Sean super kicking him at all because I don't think you know we're looking for Dolph Ziggler to be this competitor. I think people just want to see a Bill Goldberg squash match on this what is said to be what a six hour show minimum. If this were Drew McIntyre, I would definitely feel differently, but I yeah. don't for Dolph Ziggler. No. I do not at all. This is exactly his role. Yeah, he's a guy who could talk big and needs to be shut up. And I think every you know the promise of. Somebody like Bill Goldberg doing like a very stiff looking jackhammer spear, all that stuff is is I think a great draw. This crowd reacted really big for Goldberg. You know, we might kind of be talking about, oh, maybe this crowd wants Sean more. There's no mistaking who looks like the the bigger superstar when you pair, pair those people side by side in 2019. Goldberg still looks like Goldberg, um, and I think that music, that entrance, still elicits a fantastic reaction. Yeah. I think, honestly, this angle, I think it actually, this closing segment, it helped mm-hmm. that people knew it was Goldberg. Because I think if they legitimately didn't know, 
I think there would have been more of a reaction for Sean. And I think that would have been, um, I don't think it would have been disappointing when Goldberg's music played, but it was like, you're, you're teasing something really big, but I think everyone knew where this was going. So that wasn't an issue at all. So I thought a good ending to this bill, I thought got the biggest reaction on the show. And that's what you want. The whole show built to this reveal. And it's something special for SummerSlam seeing Goldberg come back and probably have a 90 second match with Dolph Ziggler. That'll be better than the undertaker match. And, and bill can have a positive note, hopefully after Sunday. Let's hope. Yeah. I mean, it, do you anticipate him sticking around after that? Sorry, do do I expect it to go well on Sunday? No, do you I, anticipate Bill to stick around after SummerSlam? I think so. I don't think this is going to be one and done. I think so, and too. Yeah, like I would 100%. I, I wouldn't want to waste him in these next like six, seven weeks before Fox. I'd have him beat Ziggler. And then I'd build up to something for him. Maybe not even that first week on Fox. Because you know that first week is going to be plugged so big. And people are going to be tuning in. But what are we going to have week two or week three? And I think that he could be very valuable on SmackDown in the fall. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't see this being the last of, of Goldberg. If he can... Like, if he destroys Ziggler, then he, he should be used again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, uh, overall, I, I really like the closing angle on this show. I like the uh, women's tag team match. I like the, uh, uh, what was the other, uh, Ray versus Andrade, I thought was really good as well. Um, maybe a mixed bag with, with some of the other, other programs heading into SummerSlam. Was not a fan of what they did with Rollins on this show. Um, How about the Roman stuff? Did you did you like it? Did you, did it? I did, actually. I thought it sent you to SmackDown with, like, you know, still a, a good level of anticipation. I feel like these kind of... Who done it have have done well for them in terms of a TV rating. So, um, hopefully, there's a promise of a reveal tomorrow. If not, um, uh, we'll see how, where they take it. But I feel like we're gonna get a reveal tomorrow. Maybe they'll reveal it on the kickoff. That extra hour, oh God. we'll find out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought this was a mixed bag of a show. Um, you know, th- this was not a show that had a ton. Of, we had five matches spread out over these three hours, which is fine when you've got a lot of compelling non-wrestling stuff. I didn't think all of it was uh, that compelling, but I there think were, that there they... were long matches too, though. Some of them. Uh, we got the women's was long. I guess the six man went six minutes, and Andrade the opening tag and went seven. Andrade and Ray got time. Yeah, you're right. That one did get time. Uh, and Ray and Andrade, I thought was definitely the best match on the show. Uh, I like the closing angle with Bill and. I, I really didn't mind the uh the, the stuff with the women's tag uh at the beginning. So yeah, I, I thought a mixed bag show for SummerSlam, but a, a good ending to it that I would say if, if someone was on the fence about watching the show, um maybe Goldberg some people maybe are turned off and don't want to see Bill Goldberg, but I thought it ended it with something different for SummerSlam than just your rank and file pay per view, which is what you want these shows to be. I wonder if it's like really a hook for somebody who wasn't going to watch SummerSlam to say all of a sudden, oh, Dolph Ziggler versus Goldberg, I got to tune in now. I don't know if it's that, but I think it's certainly a great bonus for somebody who was planning on watching the show anyway. It's kind of silly. Like we 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 still kind of look it back at like, oh, if it, if it sold people on the pay per view, it's like if someone's on the fence, the decision they have to make is, you know what, I am going to sign up for free and and then cancel it on Monday. I I am going to get this this I'm free show go on Sunday. The trouble of making a fake email account so that I can <laughs> sign up for this for one month. Like that's what it is. It's like when you do this kind of you know promotions for a pay per view. It's like it's not really um, getting money out of people. It's just arbitrary. 
artificially enhancing the subscriber number, and then there's an easy out. And if you want to come back and get more free shows, you can do that too. It's yeah. very easy to get the show, the the show and the network for free. Well, it is a lot of work, but but I I some at some point I think you just say at least I would say it's easier to just pay ten dollars than to go through all that all that hassle. And I think they're banking on people to feel that way. You know, at least a, a percentage of people to feel that way. All right, we head on over to the forum, and on a scale of one to ten, where are you going on this show, eh? I'm going about a six and a half. So let me round it up for for the sake of uh, being generous. Seven. Damn. Way with his finger on the pulse of the forum of the universe. A 6.48 is what the forum gave tonight's episode of Raw. And we start off with, of course, Paul from New Jersey. I think I'm just embarrassed for Seth Rollins. Yeah, the Seth Rollins stuff was very bad on this show, Mm -hmm. I thought. Yeah. Especially for the level of match he has, which is presumably the main event on Sunday, you would think. Yeah, um, he says the bait and sw- the bait and Trish spot was pretty lame. Oh, that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trish had to cross a border for that. On the bright side, Becky sounded like a killer, and Samoa Joe is one of the best in the company. He also cared for Roman after he got cracked by a car. What a guy! The time has come. The end of the Iconics title reign. They actually look good in the ring. Mandy and Oscar had a terrible exchange. Good for Cross and Bliss. They should be fun champions. Six point five. Uh, Paul is absolutely right. Like I think for the. 30 seconds that the Iconics were actually in the ring wrestling like serious wrestlers. They look great, and I wish we saw more of that during the entire run. But um, sadly, <laughs> it was saved for the last 30 seconds. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think the, the, their run could have actually been very entertaining. But the way they were booked, I mean, three title defenses in four or five months, that's just, who can do anything with that? They really would have hit their stride by title defense number six. Yeah, yes. We got a Jalen from Pickering who says, This show was weird. Seth looked stupid and cut another bad promo. He didn't look like a tough baby face. He looked like a guy walking into an unwinnable situation where there were no stakes and no actual need to do so. The Joe Roman thing was weird, as I don't see why Joe would feel sympathy for him. Because he's a human being. Who's, all, who's almost dead. He almost, almost died. he almost killed a man. I mean, I I kind of like that with Joe. It's like yeah. here's the this the, this badass that like when when you do it right, when when the heel finally shows like an ounce of decency, it's very easy then for the audience to get behind a guy Absolutely. like that. Absolutely, because they they've hated him, but now it's okay. This guy has shown me something that I can latch onto. I I really didn't mind that at all. In fact, if anything, it kind of teased like a little mini alliance between Joe and Reigns. That'd be cool. Yeah, I think Joe has been ripe for a babyface turn for a long, long time. And maybe this was their beginning of it. Um, But I, I certainly wouldn't have him all of a sudden being best friends with Roman. He needs to be that, like, asshole guy that you really want to have on your team. So What I, if yeah? What if they did the reveal that it's Brian and Rowan and there's Reigns going to confront them on SmackDown and he's still injured from this this hit and run and Joe comes to get his back and it's a tag match uh, on Sunday and you don't give away Brian and Reigns on five days notice it's yeah. you get you get by on five days notice with a tag match and just kind of wet people's appetite for what is to come I, I think that would be a better way and it gets Joe onto the show all those guys need matches so I actually like that um I guess the only thing you might risk is do you want Roman and Brian touching you know a- after what really was a attempted homicide uh Multiple times. Do you want them touching that much uh, before the actual match? 
I I guess it's kind of inevitable, but I I, I like the idea. Sure. Jalen goes on to say, and I don't know why the guy in the blockbuster movie is in the middle of a mystery angle and not on SummerSlam yet. And seeing Asuka actually shine at moments is a sad reminder of how badly they botched the best wrestler NXT ever built up. Well, that Asuka, unfortunately, it's uh, they they did not capitalize on the woman that could headline takeovers. AJ, this was a fun show, and SummerSlam is shaping up to be a pretty solid card. I would have actually enjoyed the OBGYN segment if it weren't for the ridiculously cheap set. It was stupid but fun, and in a three-hour show, there's plenty of room for that. The Reigns angle was unexpected and had me excited for a return from break for the first time in a long time. Should have ended the show with that, to be honest. Do you guys... I, I disagree. I like the ending to tonight's Raw. I think you ended uh, at like your high point with Goldberg. Uh, do you guys think the ending to that Reigns segment signaled the face turn for Samoa Joe? Well, it certainly teased it. Uh, 7 out of 10 is what AJ gives this show. I don't really know how much further you can go with Samoa Joe at this point as a heel because he's lost to everybody as a heel. And typically, I think that would maybe signify that he's 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 ready to join the the the, the other side. So I would say yes. We get a test from Oklahoma City. You, you know what their team name will be though? Samoa Joe's. Yeah, you've kind of used that one before, so <laughs> I was just piggybacking off of you. <laughs> Uh, test, test from Oklahoma City. I actually like this episode of Raw well enough. I get not showing Trish Russell, but honestly, I think the booking is so weird. Trish will definitely get good cheers in Toronto, but Natty probably won't. If they wanted Becky to be positioned as a heel, it would have made more sense to keep Charlotte out until post-SummerSlam and have Becky versus Trish. I could imagine them maybe saving that for maybe later. Maybe. I really enjoyed the women's tag match, and I'm happy it was the main event. I think Bliss and Cross have great chemistry and may be able to actually bring the tag titles out of their weird TV, off-TV phase. The Goldberg-Ziggler thing was odd, but I saw it coming after listening to the podcast last week, and John saying how weird it was they kept mentioning Goldberg. Almost seems to me that HBK couldn't get medical clearance, so they had to pivot and use Goldberg. Hard for me to believe they go with Michaels or go with Goldberg over Michaels given the choice for the Ziggler matchup. That, that's not the case with, with Michaels. I mean, this was what they were planning with Goldberg. Um, Jay from Colorado. Roman is made of glass. He barely gets hit by the scaffolding last week, and he's down. The car this week barely hits him, and he's down. Maybe Roman should be a referee. Are you kidding me? Come on. Like, that... He... He he, he didn't just get up. Okay, he did just get up from the accident. But I wouldn't say the car barely hit him. Like, if you're to believe that, you know, that accident was the, the way it, it, it took place and not a stage stunt. Like, any, wait, wait, I, I've been hit by cars many times. They're not that bad once you've had a few. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet you've fallen off of giant cranes, too. Yeah. Inside a uh, car. While I'm sad the Iconics lost the tag titles, it needed to happen. The division's stale. They need some movement. But what the hell was the point behind showing Kyrie Sane and Asuka crying in Paige's arms after? They need to be built up. This guy's a tough critic, man. You're selling like devastation that this long this chase their dream. resulted in a loss. This is God their forbid dream. people sell a loss. This is their dream for two months. Um, all right. Goes on to say that he thought the commercial for the new 2K20 game was really cool. I love seeing Velveteen Dream in it. The game looks like shit, though. I'm going to say I'll pass until the day it releases and then reluctantly buy it just to realize it's the same shit as the year before. You know what, Jay? I don't think you should buy the video game. I think you should just, you know, do something fun. Go go watch a fun movie tomorrow or something. I, ju I just feel this is a, a lot of anger here. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Chris Thunder from Down Under says, Highlights were the amazing Andrade Ray match, even though the referee was looking at Zelina during the entrance. And the Fiend continuing to attack Legends unprovoked is interesting, but the test will be when he returns in ring. While I'm biased, I'm in saying I'm sad to see the Iconics reign end. Oh, come Chris, on. Who is sad to see the Iconics reign end? Chris Thunder from Down Under, obviously. Oh, come on. Having a, a Australian representatives. But truth if the Iconics told, were Canadian, I don't, I don't know how many people would be, in, uh, be sad about this one in, in Canada. They, like, let's be honest. These titles have been just killed dead. Okay. And I'm not in, saying it's necessarily just them, but... I, they have not been in, great. Well, I think in Chris's defense, it's it's not necessarily the, the it's it's the talent and and perhaps the talent not being able to give it get a chance to actually be, you know, proud, good, uh, credible champions. I don't know. There's the iconics are a big big drop off from the prior champions. I think everyone knew that at the beginning, and I, I can't say the iconics having. Matches every week would have necessarily had much of a different outcome. So anyway, Chris, I'm sorry. He's got a question. He says, I know that during your reviews, you occasionally mention X was announced on WWE.com early today. How much time do you spend checking their website? As I rarely ever check the website at all. Um, I don't know. Occasionally. I never go to WWE.com for news. If it's a match announcement, I usually hear about it through retweets on Twitter or Squared Circle on Reddit or something like that. Or John. MJ writes, just going to reiterate my call into the cafe. These short builds to matches are way better than multiple week beatdowns and flip-flopping titles to get to a rematch. At some point, the OC versus New Day has shield Wyatt family potential if they don't water down the interaction. Survivor Series should be full of these old school matchups. Also, when back, Finn Balor needs to be involved in the club in some way or form, with or against. Goldberg can have 20 bad matches and still get a massive pop. Straight up one of the most iconic entrances and songs in wrestling ever. Pops every time. Only thing I'll regret not sticking around Sunday night for. Do we think the person targeting Roman did it for The Rock? Oh, he already made our joke for us. Uh, He says, being the elite was awesome today. Throwback to the core cast. They made fun of how formulaic it has got and used it to tease future venues for tomorrow, which is the proper way to integrate digital and social. All right. Uh, we got a um, uh, this guy. This did you guy. see being the elite today? I did not. No. It was. I mean, it's just pretty much their trip to Mexico, and it's just following Kenny and the Bucks around doing stuff. Like it's. I don't know. It's a. I guess some people enjoyed it, but man, I'm comparing it now to the Road Two series, and it's just like, man, they're. They become night and day now for me. I love those Road Two series. Why can't they coexist? Ah, uh, they can, but this one especially, like, it really didn't push much. It was just, like, following them around, like, ordering room service, and, yeah, I don't okay. know. It didn't really push much. We got a B Detroit who says, wow, that was a long show. Was it me, or did this crowd seem pretty dead tonight? Besides the high spots, you could hear a pin drop. And those poor Viking Raiders had to squash those poor young boys to absolute silence. But overall, pretty weird show tonight. Five out of ten sunset flips. Final one here. Tonight was a fun Raw from Pittsburgh. We have a tag match if Trish was never meant... Why did we have a tag match if Trish was never meant to get involved until the post-match? I could hear the PPG paint dry during the Rollins-Lesnar segment. I love that the Mandible Claw is now an official move of The Fiend. You guys may have covered this, or I might have missed it, but where was Kofi? Has someone checked on Davey after that finish in the women's tag match? Does that add for the video game count as a return for Sheamus? Is Dolphin Goldberg the best build in the history of time? See you boys on Sunday. 
A lot of questions there. Uh, Kofi, I don't know what the deal was with Kofi because there was no SmackDown house show. So um, he just, what would have been the point of him being on the show tonight? You had Ricochet in the role as the third man. So why would you need Kofi? Yeah, it could have very well just been an excuse to put Ricochet in there. But I'm sure we'll know tomorrow. And uh, is Goldberg Dolph the best build in the history of time? Probably not. But I think it was actually quite good, all said and done. Yeah, it was fine. Like, it's, uh, you know, for for a, your, your quick 90-second to two-minute match on Sunday, I think that it was fine the way they set it up. Got a big pop for it, and, yeah, it was it was good. All right, that is Rewind to Raw. Way, do you want to take us out? Follow us, everybody, at Post Wrestling. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, subscribe and leave a comment. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And, uh... uh what else do people say at the end of uh, these things? Five-star reviews. Five-star um, reviews. Tell your friends. Uh, tell your parents. Yeah. Tell your neighbor. That's right. Yep. And uh, uh, see you next time. Bye for now. Ciao. All that stuff. Goodbye. Nobody listens to the end anyway. <laughs>